you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. He is the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So good, let's pray together. Father, as we've prayed this morning already, we admit that our hearts are prone to wander. So we would ask that you tune them to sing your praise as we open your word. Would you do this in the power of Jesus and for his glory and all of God's people said together, amen. amen. Well, great to be with you sitting on Hill. My name's Dave, one of the pastors here. And uh, as you've heard, we've been in the first letter to Colossians, the only letter and the first chapter of that letter, uh, looking at some stunning things about Jesus. And this morning, it is my great privilege to unpack what has to be by far the most underwhelming of those things in this list. This series has been as though we're on a mountain road, driving quickly, taking in the scenery, and everywhere you turn in this passage, you get peak after peak, amazing sight after amazing sight, breathtaking view after breathtaking view, and then all of a sudden, this pedestrian phrase wanders onto the road. It forces us to slam on the brakes and ask, what are you doing here? Who invited you? Check it out. In verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Amazing. Verse 16, by him all things were created, all things created through him and for him. Incredible. Verse 17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together breathtaking. And then verse 18, and he is the head of the body. The church, which is just so unbelievably fine. It's, it's true, and it's not bad. Don't get me wrong, I, I like church, okay? I go often. But it's no creator of the known universe. And so as we read this passage, we start to wonder, what is this phrase doing here? Why is this here, does it even belong on the list? Because church, I don't know about you, but confession time, it maybe doesn't seem that impressive. And it's not just an exegetical question for our passage, is it? We feel like this from time to time. Last week, I came to the 4 p.m. service here. I'd heard that the, the team had been doing an incredible job at building an intergenerational service where the whole family's welcome in the service to hear the sounds of babies crying, to sing the praises of God's Son, and do that all as one big family. And if you haven't been, let me recommend it. It was fantastic. 
But I came along with my two daughters, two and four, right? And, and Freya's two, and she's got a new favorite game. It's called Run Away From Mum and Dad. It's not a clever game. Just run away from mum and dad. But she's working out, too. This is a great game, not just for home games, but away games as well. In fact, it's more fun. We're getting to know the security guard at our local Kmart, because it turns out Kmart's a great place to play run away from mum and dad, and, and he's pretty good at catching her before we are. So here we are at the 4 p.m. service, and I can just tell Freya has her game face on. She's ready to go. And so the first song starts up, and I put her down, and she runs out the side of the aisle, down the side of the church, and out that door there. So I walked out, and I picked her up, and I brought her back in, and I came prepared. I had snacks and coloring. And so I put her down with the snacks and the coloring. I look away for a second, and she's run to the end of the aisle, down the side of the church, and out that door there again. So I grabbed her, I came back, and this time, I put her on the inside of me. I'm sitting on the aisle side, so she has to get past me to get out. I thought that should be fine. She crawls under the row in front, runs to the end of the aisle, down the side of the church, and out that door there. It was 6 nil before we got to the Bible reading. <laughs> and honestly, I started to wonder, what's the point of being here? Is this really that beneficial? Like, people were so great, right? Nobody minded. We were so welcome. They didn't mind the disruption. That wasn't the issue. I I was just wondering, like, I'm not going to catch much of the sermon here. I can't focus on the announcements. I certainly dare not close my eyes during the songs. (laughs) Is there really much point in being here? That day, church felt particularly unspectacular. And maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe you too have a toddler who dreams of being a fugitive one day. But but maybe it's something different. Maybe just getting the kids in the car is a battle and you're going to turn up exhausted. Or, Or maybe your emotional space is not where you think it should be to come to church. Maybe you're tired, or you're anxious, or you're fearful, or you're hurting, or or maybe you feel not together enough to join us, that you're too broken or too sinful to come to a service this week. And it's easy to wonder, is it worth persevering with? Is church really going to be that beneficial? Could it really be that significant? I think our passage today helps us, and, and I want to look closer at it to see three things. The first one is this. The future is closer than you think. In all of life, context really matters, right? It drives meaning in so many spheres. It matters in stories or relationships. It matters in conversation. Context makes a huge difference. For example, maybe you've heard this before. I'm sorry and my bad mean the same thing, unless you're at a funeral. Think about it. Context matters. If you're at a funeral, that changes the meaning completely, right? Context matters all the time, and it matters especially when we read the Bible. For example, did you know that the Bible says there is no God? It does. The full sentence is, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. And so context begins to make a real difference there too, doesn't it? 
And without question, what's this phrase doing in this passage? I think context really helps us out in the most spectacular way. So, so we've got some visuals. Hang in there with me. Here's the whole passage so far, right? And, and as we track through it, we see these incredible things about Jesus. As standalone statements, they're unbelievable and would make a fantastic sermon series. But if we do that and look at them individually and not together, if we ignore the context, we can miss what Paul's doing and, and start to miss the forest for the trees. Because as you look at each of the statements in this passage, there is a flow to them. So in a stunning feat of graphic design, I've managed to color code them. And, and let me show you what I mean. If we were to group these statements according to their theme, this is what we'd come up with. If you're listening to this on a podcast, or if you're colorblind, I guess, this is going to be not very helpful. But for the rest of us, everything in red is about Jesus' relationship to creation. His relationship to this creation. He's in it, he's before it, he's the author and authority of it. It all exists. Everything in this creation right now exists because of him. It's from him and it's through him and it's for him. But then we move to the blue in verse 18 and we start to see Paul makes a shift. Suddenly he's not talking about this creation, he's talking about the new creation. See, throughout history, God's people have always liked this creation. Big fans. There is psalm after psalm after psalm praising God for his power and his majesty in creating all that we see and smell and hear and taste and touch. But there's also been a recognition that it's not quite right. This creation is beautiful but broken. And so alongside the joy that leaps off the pages of Scripture about the creation we have around us, there's also a deep longing, an undercurrent of hope that one day the world won't be broken anymore. Romans says that creation groans with longing for that better day. A new creation where every ache is satisfied and every tear is wiped away. A new creation where death is not our problem anymore. And God promises all through Scripture that one day it would come. For example, we see this incredible passage in Isaiah 65. God says, Behold, I create new heaven. And a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. I love the way our kids' Bible puts it. A world where all the sad things are coming untrue. That's the new creation that God's people have always hoped for, a place where there are no more tears and death is not our problem. And this passage, Colossians 1 verse 18, makes the most stunning claim. You ready? He is the beginning. Jesus is the beginning. 
Colossians 1.18 says. The beginning of what? Well, I'm convinced because of context that he's the beginning of the new creation. Because the next verse in our passage gives us a clue. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, we've seen this word firstborn before. Remember, verse 15, we saw that the word firstborn means he's like the most important one, right? The most significant one, the, the biggest of the bunch. And here it means that too. Jesus really is the leader of this church, of every church. We take our cues from him. We draw our life from him. The firstborn means he's the most important. But in verse 18, it means something else as well. The fact that Jesus was the first born from the dead means that now we're counting. Just as there was a first, we can expect a second, and a third, and a fourth born from the dead. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, it started. The place where death is not our problem anymore, it's broken in. There's this wild scene at the end of Matthew's gospel, right? Jesus dies on the cross, and and often we zoom in on that verse in Matthew, and rightly so, but but if we read on, there's something kind of weird going on. Verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, And then something weird, the earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were also opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What's going on? Well, Jesus died, and then he was raised, and then a whole lot of other people were raised too. I've got so many questions. Where did they come from? Where did they go next? What did they smell like? (laughs) And Matthew answers none of them. He moves straight on, because he's not trying to focus on the details. He's, He's trying to make a very simple point. It's begun. Jesus has risen, and now it's started, because he is the beginning. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus was an invasion of the new creation into this one. And now the sad things are coming untrue. Now when it comes to the new creation, we can make all sorts of mistakes. There's a couple of big mistakes a lot of people make thinking about the new creation. One of them is to assume that everything that belongs to the new creation also belongs here and now. Right, the technical term for this that the Bible nerds will say is over-realized eschatology, where everything that belongs in the new creation should be here too. It's where you assume that everything that God promises for the future when Jesus returns, we should also expect now. This is where you get uh, some sort of strange practices like digging up graves or, or things like that because you assume, well, resurrection's a thing there, so it should be a thing now in every possible way. And I want to say that is a mistake. The Bible doesn't teach that everything in the new creation belongs in this one because we're not there yet. We won't see the full new creation until Jesus returns. 
The world will still groan for now. We'll still fight with sin. The devil still prowls around and death still lingers because we're not there yet. And so we want to avoid an over-realized eschatology. But there is another mistake we can make and that's to have an under-realized eschatology. To assume that the new creation is so far away that it has no relevance to us now. But yeah, one day Jesus will come back and and he'll change a bunch of things then, but who knows when that happens, so I might as well just live my life and focus on my family and my career and put all my time and energy and attention into the things of this creation, to put all my focus into this creation. And, And that would be a mistake too because Jesus really is alive, which means the future is closer than we think. Later in the book of Colossians, the first book, that is, Paul writes these words at the beginning of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The most mind-blowing thing about this verse is the past tense. You have been raised, Paul says. That already happened. I feel like I'd remember something like that happening to me. But Paul says, it's taken place. I have risen and I've died in verse 3. What Paul's saying is that we're united to Jesus. We're a body and he's our head. And so when he died and when he rose, we died and rose with him. And that makes a massive difference to right now. Because if you have been raised, you should think raised thoughts. You should be a raised kind of person. You should set your mind on the things above, not on the things on earth. Don't put all your focus in this creation. Don't put all your eggs in this basket because you belong in the new one. And the future is closer than we think. So what does that have to do with church? Well, if we go back to our color coding and ask where this leaves our little green pedestrian phrase, I want to suggest that maybe the church is greater than we realize. Let's look back at our color coded verses. Right, red, that's this creation. Blue, that's the new creation. So what's the green one doing here? Well, I want to suggest that when Paul talks about the church in this passage, he is not comparing it to what comes before. He's connecting it to what comes next. The church, that's us, the body of Christ, belongs not to this creation, but to the new one. Christian, you and I are wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus. And death is not our problem anymore. It's not the end of our story. We belong in the new creation together, and that means the church is kind of a big deal. Because it's a taste of the new creation. A heavenly reminder of the things above. Last week at the 4 p.m. service, I think I saw that. 
to be totally transparent, I kind of gave up on coming back after the sixth time that Freya ran away. So instead of going home, though, we stuck with it. We went to the cry room, because that has a lockable door. So she couldn't <laughs> run away. And, and we're playing with trains, and, and I could hear the sermon through the speakers in there. And as I was kind of tuned in, kind of tuned out, I remember Dave May preaching the most faithful, wonderful, fruitful, incredible sermon and reminding me that Jesus is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And there I am sitting in the crying room feeling like I have absolutely no control. When I hear that Jesus does. I'm barely holding it together in there. I'm watching my own child slip through my hands and then I hear that God holds all things. And in that moment, I think God did a work in me. He changed my heart and he used the church to do it. to remind me of the things above. I went home last week way more tired than when I started. But I do think I went home a little more patient as well. Because God used his body. He's doing something here. Something profound and something eternal. And so if there's going to be one application from this sermon, I really hope it's this. Keep showing up, won't you? Whether it's here on a Sunday, whether it's a gospel community, whether it's friendships and relationships and opportunities to serve, just please keep showing up. Because if the church is part of this creation only, then it makes sense for it to be crowded out by the things of this world. It makes sense that we only get involved when we really feel up to it. It, it makes sense we only come when we feel strong enough or calm enough or together enough. But if the church is more than that, if the church is an invasion of the new creation into our existence, then, then maybe a dose of new creation community is exactly what we need when we feel weak. Maybe this is exactly the sort of thing God has for us to help us set our minds on the things above. Maybe it's a mistake to let the worries of this world crowd out our hope of the next. So keep showing up even if it's all you can do to collapse through the door. Especially if it feels tough to be here that day. Because this is a body. We've all got different parts to offer, different gifts, and we're all in this together. And so if you're strong, if you feel like you're flying, if you're going great and you can't wait to be here, praise the Lord. Please come ready to serve.
Come prepared to be more tired when you leave because you gave something. But if you are weak and heavy laden, please come. Give the rest of us a chance to bear your burdens with you, to be a body together. If you're anxious, someone here might have a gift of comfort. If you're unwell, someone might have a gift of healing. If you're weighed down by a big decision to make, someone here might have a gift of wisdom. If you're feeling sinful, let the rest of us, your brothers and sisters, tell you the gospel again to remind each other of the amazing grace that God has given to all of us. Keep showing up. As the writer of the Hebrews puts it, do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So come, be a body, get get a dose of new creation community, be reminded that Jesus is alive and we're connected with him. So does the church belong on this list? I think it does, absolutely. But it's not because we're brilliant or impressive. Far from it, we're spectacularly unimpressive a lot of the time. But it belongs on this list so that in our imperfections, we might see that Jesus is bigger than we could ever imagine. Paul writes to another church that is probably just as underwhelming as ours. And he says this, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Maybe Jesus is not ashamed to put us on his resume. Maybe we do belong on this list, but not because we're impressive, because he is. Because he's doing the most incredible thing amongst us. He's winning with the guys and girls that nobody else would pick for their team. We're not supposed to look at church and say, how amazing we are. We're supposed to look at this, at one another, and say, how amazing he is. That he, the head of this body, could take us with our sins, with our weakness, with our foolishness, with our tiredness and our anxieties and our toddlers running all over the place. That he could take us and build something against which the gates of hell don't stand a chance. 
that is the head of this body, he could take us and turn us into a bride that's just as beautiful as he deserves. That he could take us and turn us into just the sort of thing that belongs on this list. How amazing is he? How supreme. How preeminent is the one who could take us and remind us of the things above by using one another. So next time you wonder at 8.35 on a Sunday morning, what's the point? The point is so that Jesus could show us just how big he really is. Not in spite of our weaknesses, but through them. Not so that we would boast in ourselves, but so that the one who boasts would boast in the Lord. Because he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are stunned that you would choose us, save us, that you would use us to display your glory to the world. So God, please help us to embrace our weakness and our limitations, to serve one another as a body, and to keep showing up, not for our praise, but for yours. God, give us a dose of the new creation. Set our minds on the things above so that we might boast in you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.